Welcome to Ex Libris On Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. A presentation of Ex Libris Publishing, host Steve Jorgensen connects with the writer to share the vision and inspiration behind their works. Insightful, informative, and always entertaining, please welcome host Steve Jorgensen and this week's edition of Ex Libris On Air. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled Resist Not Evil. I think I'd put a question mark behind that, but there's not one on the title. It just says Resist Not Evil. And our author who is joining us from near New York City is Robert Charles Anthony Vaca. Sir, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, uh, Jay. It's a pleasure to be here speaking about what uh, rings everybody's bells. Well, you've got 761 pages now. Being an author is not your primary vocation or pursuit. I understand you have uh, a connection to the sports world. Is that uh, accurate, or am I, uh, am I confused about that? Uh, not at all. Uh, playing was my first love, uh, baseball and basketball. My dad introduced me to the game of basketball baseball as a youngster, and I had a great high school uh, coach for basketball. Ultimately, I uh, played in college at uh, Seton Hall University uh, and transferred over to Quinnipiac in uh, Hamden, uh, Connecticut. I was uh, selected in the NBA draft by the uh, Milwaukee Bucks, and uh, uh, an injury, um, you know, ended my career and I ventured off into coaching basketball in high school, and that's what I'm doing now. In fact, we have a playoff game uh, tonight at East Hampton High School, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, uh, having faith in the young men that, uh, that some of their dreams will come true as well. Phenomenal. Now, in addition to being a coach and all of the other activities you're involved in, you decided, I'm going to be an author and uh, pen a novel. This is 761 pages. That's ambitious. Uh, Robert, how long did it take to do, and what is the uh, genesis of, or the, the uh, underlying theme of Resist Not Evil? Well, I used to be somewhat um, hesitant to say 23 years, but 23 years is how long it took. It is... Uh, a novel that kept uh, expanding um, uh, at pr- pretty much as uh, my life uh, has, and I allowed uh, uh, the spirit uh, to move me and allowed the uh, um, spontaneity to uh, make it real by not being tied to any uh, particular outline. And uh, so I would say probably... Um, more recently, The Law of Attraction, and um, uh, previously, the statement of Jesus in the New Testament, resist not evil, as well as turn the other cheek and uh, pick up thy sword and love thy enemies. I felt that there was a connection between what has been discovered regarding the Law of Attraction in quantum physics, so now we're venturing from faith uh, with regard to religion and science, and I've kind of uh, melded uh, the two. So I call this a resist not evil is a law of attraction, a love story with a basketball motif, a metaphysical quest, and a revolutionary uh, approach to war and peace. And it uh, graphically illustrates that what we think about, we bring about. So therefore we are... Uh, 
in control of our own destiny and we create our own reality rather than feeding into the appearance of uh, being a victim. So I think that that is the major message of the story is empowerment um, and also um, we wanted to make that entertaining so rather than go into the metaphysical bookstore for all the juice we had to combine it with uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll and make that really uh, almost uh, one of a kind. You mentioned in your uh, introduction to your book or in a descriptive of your book that there are some, oh, shall I call them, sexual contents. Is this something that would appeal to, well, I know it would appeal to young guys, but uh, would this appeal to a broad audience or is this a little bit of an older read? Well, that is really, uh, Jay, a very good question probably i wouldn't say it's loaded it's just uh, everyone is so uh different uh, with our uh, uh background our uh beliefs but we're not different in that there's any exceptions to uh, how we were all born so we were born out of uh you know, sexuality and um you know i think it's important to recognize that this particular author had no intention of going into any kind of um, detail with regard to sexuality because, you know, I have my identity crisis like anyone else is uh -huh. to what is my own piece regarding such uh, a dynamic uh, subject. Um, so I think the important thing is that it somehow came out in good taste um, that... Um, I would refer to it as source energy sexuality. I would recall it, uh, call it also tantric lovemaking. I would refer to it as lovemaking without conditions and without limits. And that um, the central characters are um, involved intimately as an integral part of the theme and the love story. So we're all... Um, their relationship is moving the reader and the world, hopefully, um, to a, a better feeling place and a more empowered place, and it's therefore um, uh, very um, naturally uh, flowing. And the one thing that I neglected to mention earlier is the timeline of this amazing story uh, is from the Vietnam War, specifically 1970, right up to the present day, and then uh, open-ended into the uh, future. And it involves uh, current events um, at this particular time when it comes into the present and the future, and it involves um, some well-known people, which was also unexpected. So when these inspirations came, I had to allow um, the expansion of the book and hence the... Um, amount of time it took to uh, write it. But I don't think that anyone would be offended by the sexual um, content, except maybe for those who have often been referred to, including myself, as somewhat uh, uptight or fearful of, you know, what exactly is um, the peace uh, that I can find within uh, such a dynamic uh, subject, the balance, so to speak. And I think the balance is uh, comes out of these scenes as they 
interconnect with the rest of the story. So thank you for asking such a difficult question. It is a difficult answer. question, yes. But, you know, it's it's not uh, the focal point of your of your message or of your book. 761 pages, there's action, there's love, there's all types of, uh, of things happening from 1970 to the current time. In fact, you have sort of broken this down into several parts. Part one is the rage, the fire that burns within. Part two is pain, fuel that, strokes, uh, that stokes the flame. Uh, three is redemption. Choose whom you will serve. And then you've got one, uh, empowerment, God's great law of attraction, trans, uh, transcendence, uh, Easter is God's last word, epilogue. So you have broken this down. So although it's 761 pages, someone could uh, digest it in l- smaller chunks. Would that be a, a, a right uh, evaluation of your book? Yes, also um, very good, uh, Jay, exactly uh, so. Also, you know, it's a spiritual pilgrimage. It's a journey that everyone is on, either um, uh, consciously or subconsciously. So it describes uh, the stages of my own particular um, journey, and uh, lots of those, um, you know, periods could only be seen clearly in the aftermath looking back, and then there's phenomenal appreciation for how uh, these um, events uh, together with transformation, uh, you know, connects, um, whereas in the midst of uh, drama um, that doesn't feel good, uh, sometimes that is not really seen until the dust clears, because uh, at least personally, I was not always uh, calm enough to have what you would call unshakable faith, that all is well no matter what uh, the appearance is, and that the Lord, or God, or truth, or the universe, or whatever anyone is comfortable with, and whatever an atheist would be comfortable with, is, you know, um, beyond my own um, human power, something smarter than me has my back. Uh, And that, therefore... um, was always pushing me beyond where I thought the book was going to end, so that uh, ultimately, when I was after part four, about ready to sign off uh, on the galleys, that this is ready to go, uh, I'm led into, uh, on Easter Sunday, I'm led into an Episcopal uh, church to just um, celebrate, um, you know, the resurrection of Jesus and what that symbolizes, and the uh, amazing as it may sound, you actually had to be there as the author, but the Pastor James Cook, uh, at this Episcopal um, sermon, uh, started uh, going deep into the problems of the soul with a lot of compassion and charisma, and he started touching upon points in the book, which obviously he never read because we didn't know each other, hmm. uh, until I asked to see him um, the next day. and. And he gave me permission to use the dynamic uh, uh, sermon in the book, which led to part five, Easter is God's Last Word. So that is kind of the metamorphosis of the story, that there would be events, unpredictable, that would be catalysts. And uh, and therefore, it was very, um, you know, perceptive of you to make a point of uh, the five parts and what they represent as far as the stages of uh, a person's journey to what you might say, liberation. You've mentioned many 
well-known names in the book and have included them in, I'm assuming the right way to describe that would be in fictitious conversations or or reflections. Is that the right way to describe all of these well-known people that will pop up? Well, it's in the author's note. The best way I can describe that, Jay, is once again, this was not uh, premeditated, but, you know, the evidence of whether or not it's, uh, you know, from divine inspiration or from my own, you know, uh, puny human perspective is, well, ultimately there's either going to be evidence on the page, you know, uh, or there's not. And so uh, when the evidence was undeniable, I had to go with the flow of that. So um, there are instances where, whether it's Oprah Winfrey speaking or Sharon Stone or John Bon Jovi or Al Green or... R. Kelly, because music is also a big uh, part of this uh, story throughout, that I've done, of course, uh, prolific research uh, for every aspect of this story. And when it came to these, you know, if I were not really inspired by the lives of these uh, people, then I would not have included them. But because they made a difference, make a difference in my life, there were instances when... um, what they said in, uh, in another context uh, was absolutely applicable and perfect for the scene and the dynamic uh, involved in the story. And there were other times where, because I have captured the essence uh, of the personality is one thing, but to capture the essence of a person's soul to the best of one's ability because you actually feel and empathize with what they're going through as they explain it, then it became more like, what would Oprah say in this situation? What would Sharon Stone say? You know, what would Bon Jovi say? And therefore, I, I, I explain that in the author's note, that in some cases, um, the uh, dialogue of the celebrities um, is the... Um, authors and not their own and 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 i think that that's fair absolutely and one thing that i do like about your books because i i do interview a lot of authors i think over a thousand maybe 1200 so far some of the books just have you know uh, off have uh, chapter numbers like one two three four five yours actually has names associated with your chapters so i can look through there and get an idea of or not an idea but a, a an imp- impression of what you might be talking about you talk about things like uh, one thing that caught my attention five friars laughing now i'm curious about what that's all about you talk about uh, other things like uh, love letters to a lost planet i love that title what is the essence of your book what is the underlying theme that you wanted to to get across well those are specific chapter titles and please don't let me forget uh chapter title one which is very interesting how that um materialized after you know part five easter is god's last word kind of precipitates itself then it changes everything in the story. So I had to go back to chapter one, since I'm mentioning that now. Sure. Uh, it was titled The Big Show because it is, you know, basketball related and don't want to give away the dynamics of that. And I changed it to uh, Building a Bridge Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and now that oh, whole chapter uh, changed uh, because now I actually at least knew the future of the story 
and uh, and there became, let's say, an extra couple of pages uh, to that chapter, which connects it to the future of the story and what happens at the uh, end of the story. So I think that that is apropos, and uh, Five Friars Laughing is just simply a basketball uh, chapter primarily at Providence College, uh, and they are known as the Friars, and these you know, five ball players, um, they break out of a huddle at a very intense, dramatic moment. Uh, and one of the, one of the central characters tells a joke in the huddle, uh, that nobody is supposed to know about. Uh, and they never do, just these five. And it's Al McGuire, uh, a former, uh, basketball coach and commentator. Uh, he's depicted as I would really love to know what was uh, said in that huddle because, you know, this is what it's all about, you know, playing fast and loose, baby, because, uh, you know, it's not life and death, it's just basketball. And so um, there, it's very curious when these five friars break out of their huddle uh, and they're laughing at the uh, at joke just, you know, before crunch time, right. uh, when crunch time, in the midst of uh, crunch time. And... Um, the love letters to a lost planet. You know, everything is based uh, in this story is based on my own personal experience. So, if there is such a thing as an autobiographical novel, that would be uh, appropriately describing this story. And and uh, and that particular letter that is broken down in love letters to a lost planet. I mean, it actually happened to me uh, verbatim. Um, when uh, I'd say it was 1981, and I was having a spiritual crisis, and I'm riding down the highway of 95 in Florida, and I'm pounding the steering wheel because I want an answer to this thing that is just confusing me, and I feel as though I'm passionate enough to get an answer and dedicated. And I had an illumination, and therefore, uh, when it said get up and write, you know, or go home and write. Uh, I grabbed a, a notebook and a pen at Walgreens. I started writing, and there were eight letters. Back then it was called uh, Silver Linings, and I just left it alone, not knowing what to do with it. Lo and behold, uh, when I started writing a novel, um, it came back as the eighth letter in what I actually wrote, and it was just perfect, perfectly um, um, complementing everything else that had been built up, because this was the very uh, close to the last chapter in part uh, four. And then the other thing that you mentioned also is you uh, questioned uh, curiously about those chapter titles, uh, Jay, is, you know, what is the story about? Well, I gave the, uh, you know, the thumbnail uh, sketch. I think I gave it all, really, as far as the um, the details of the storyline, but the hope is that um, for those who connect uh, with uh, the story, who are drawn in, you know, by the drama, who are drawn in uh, by the search, when we start, and, and law of attraction is infused. Those who are either confused or upset or curious about what does resist not evil mean, you know, by the time those who are inspired to get to the end of the story, um, have meditated on everything that happens and the interrelationship of it and how the law of attraction is broken down, 
the hope is that they will have epiphany at uh, the end of the story where they'll have a lot of question marks coming through. But we're hoping, I'm hoping that the entertainment value and the love story value, it's also the interracial, uh, um, you know, aspects. There's just nothing that interests people virtually uh, in the core of where we live that is not um, a part of this um, story. So ultimately, if somebody can grasp the essence of this story enough to realize that we, each of us, are in control of our own uh, destiny by what we think and what that attracts to us, that we do create our own reality and then we start repatterning our thinking, uh, then we start to take control a little bit more over what shows up in our lives and not feel so uh, victimized that uh, everything outside of our control is, um, you know, making our life a living hell, and hopefully that will bring some hope into a lot of people's lives who previously uh, felt or feel hopeless. That is what's been happening to me, because I was once feeling hopeless, and therefore I know it can happen to anybody who knows the truth. Multi-textured writing, multi-textured story. The title, again, is Resist Not Evil. Our author, Robert Charles Anthony Vaca. Robert, where do we get copies of your book, sir? The book is published by Ex Libris, capital X L I B, as in Bob R I S Ex Libris. That's a division of uh, Random House, so you can go on the Ex Libris um, uh, website. It is not uh, presently on the shelves of, of bookstores, but it, uh, with the title and the author's name. Uh, if anybody goes into a bookstore uh, to the order desk and gives the name of the book and the name of the author, uh, I am told by Ex Libris that that book can be ordered in that way. Also, uh, you can get a signed copy through the author, uh, through the author's website. Um, that would be Resist Not Evil, and the last name is Vodka, so you just Put those together with resistnotevilvaca.com, and, and that will um, give access to my website, and there'll be uh, the way to order the book um, and the details uh, through me, and I would uh, send a signed copy in that way. Exceptional. That. And the correct spelling of Vaca is V-A-C-C-A, for those of you who might have spelling be spelling challenged. Uh, thank you, Robert, for joining me today and sharing your story. Well, Jay, I just really thank you for uh, your very provocative uh, questions, your uh, interest. You're a real pro, and I thank you uh, once again for uh, everything that you have brought to this interview. Honored to visit with you for Ex Libris On Air. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Get ready to live la bella vita with Dawn Catherine on Toginet.com. Live la bella vita. If you're wanting to know all the beauty tricks of the trade and the latest fashion trends before everyone else, this is your show. If you admire celebrities' beauty and their fashion sense, this is your show. Do you love wine and want to know more about the process it takes to make wine from the vine to the bottle? This is your show. Live la bella vita. Up in the
For more on the show and your host, check out her website, labellavitacosmetico.com. This is the kind of show you can sink your teeth into. If you enjoy traveling and food and family, all with an Italian flair, then you can live La Bella Vita with your host, Dawn Catherine. Wednesday nights at midnight, 11 p.m. Central, on Toginet.com. Back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The title of the book is Sitting in the Flames, Uncovering Fearlessness to Help Others. And our author who joins me from the Phoenix, Arizona area in the United States, Dr. John Edwin DeVore. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. Yeah, nice to be with you, Jay. Pleasure. It'll be a pleasure. I hope we'll have a good conversation. I'm sure we will. You have have written a book of 255 pages or so. What was the uh, the purpose of writing your book? What was the story about? You know that that story uh, actually was started uh, when I was a student. That would have been in 2002 at uh, Naropa University. I happened to be there studying the five wisdom traditions along with meditation. And the particular class that I was taking at the time was uh, was called Spiritual Models of Social Action. And the instructor in this particular case was Dr. Judas Simmer Brown, who uh, actually wrote the foreword of the uh, of the book, Sitting in the Flames. But anyway, in that class, we were studying Mahatma Gandhi. Uh, Sulak Sivaraska, who is a Thai social activist. Uh, we were studying Martin Luther King Jr. And then last but not least, we were studying uh, about a Vietnamese uh, monk by the name of Thich Nhat Hanh. Uh, Thich Nhat Hanh and his partner, Chen Kung, were very active in Vietnam during the war. As a matter of fact, Thich Nhat Hanh had, uh, been, actually was exiled from uh, Vietnam for f- over 40 years. But anyway, one day in- Judith brought a book to class, put it on her desk, looked at me and said, John, you need to read that book. That book that, uh, had been written by Chris Hedges. Chris Hedges was a uh, a journalist for the New York Times and also an adjunct uh, professor over at Princeton University. And the title of that book was War is a Force that Gives Us Meaning. Hmm. And that book then stimulated the uh, the interest in going back and visiting my two years of combat during the Vietnam War. And as a result of that, uh, the book was sparked. The The first spark, obviously, was an ego uh, bang. Correct. Uh, number two, the... Um, the more I wrote about my experiences in Vietnam, the more I recognized how therapeutic it was for me as a person. And then ultimately, um, you know, the book was written to help other people because the inspiration um, I really felt could be helpful to others. You know, just by going back and living and being with their chaos and the trauma. Because I think there's a lot of power and energy there if you transform that energy that's contained in those negative emotional uh, and mental 
incidents. Yes, and you're not a anyway. you're not a no, uh, you're not a I was going to say not a novel to novelist uh, being a novelist. You have written other books as well. Is that correct? Yeah, I have one other book, uh, as a matter of fact, Jay, that was just published uh, by Ex Libris in this case. It's called Golfer's Palette. Totally different uh, perspective. Totally different. But if you look at it, the central theme that wanders through it is the same. You need to bridge the body uh, and the mind, and you do that through the breath, and that's where the power of meditation has come from for me. The uh, title of your book, Sitting in the Flames, what is the significance of the title? Okay, the, the title really is talking about sitting with our own personal Vietnam Wars, and mm. that's it, it's really about just sitting in our own emotional trauma, because there are a lot of messages there that can uh, be very fruitful to an improved quality of life. As you were re- reflecting on your tour of duty and other aspects of your book, how long did it take, and were there some complexities in dealing with those issues? Uh, it, it helped me a little bit more, Jay, in being well, more specific. Well, I guess specifically, were there challenges in, in going back to that time, that visit to Vietnam and your tour of duty there? And if so, how did you overcome them, and what is the significance of that that aspect of your book? Okay, that's a great question. There were it was a traumatic experience at times, because when we go back, at least from my perspective, when I had to go back and sit and uh, and just face the trauma of babies crying in the bottom of the well and people getting shot, it, it became emotionally very trying. And through guided meditation, Judith uh, was able to help me go back and actually, the way she'd explain it was, now, John, just go down in the basement of your house and dig that stuff up and just be with it, sit with it, experience it, reflect on it, write about it, and then just go sit with it. And out of that comes a significant amount of, of energy, and there is freedom um, you know, that comes out of just being able to sit, at least from my perspective, with my own emotional uh, pain and trauma and thoughts. And how long did it take you, John, to do this process of writing the book? It, it took me about five years. Five years. Uh, to finish it and, the time and, that I started. And uh, in writing this, who did you think this book would benefit? What was your purpose there? Yeah, I think that, you know, I, I spent a lot of time, uh, not only while I was at Naropa, but after the fact, the target for that book specifically was returning veterans. You know, I think our tendency in this, particularly in our culture, is to just bring our soldiers back and expect them to be able to integrate back into our culture. That doesn't really happen. Um, so it was targeted at returning veterans. And in the other particular, the important uh, target, from my perspective, is the families of those veterans. I've had people come up to me and make a comment, John, I really thank you for writing that book because for the first time in my life I'm able to talk to Grandpa or I've reacquainted or reconnected with my dad, you know, or I reconnected with my brother. So uh, the target market is returning veterans, like the Iraq veterans we have coming back now, the people from Afghanistan, um, 
So veterans and their families. You have, have written also or, or included declarations of the like the Pledge of Allegiance, uh, basic meditation instructions, war and moral values syllabus. You've also included something called the Seville Statement on Violence. What does that entail? Uh, the Seville uh, Statement on Violence is merely a, uh, as I recall, a proclamation of the United Nations that we'll do anything that we can to maintain peace, peace not only in respective countries but throughout the globe. So it's just, it's just the way, and the only way we can have that peace is for each of us to take that one step at a time to find comfort and peace within our own selves and through that, uh, we touch others who can also enjoy the fruits of just a peaceful life. Would you call your book a, a journey of self-discovery in addition to one that you wanted to put together to help others? Uh, most definitely. Uh, you know, this the self-awareness uh, path has been something that I've been on for like over, well, it's coming close to 40 years now. And, and I think self-awareness is where we are because... Through self-awareness is when we, we spark and unleash our own personal creativity to create the type of life that we intended to be. What is the one message, in addition to the general messages that you have outlined in your book, that you want or you think comes through in your story? That there is freedom. You know, even, even though we may experience whatever that emotional trauma happens to be, there is a sense of peace there, and uh, as we create the life that we intend it to be, uh, not only a sense of, uh, there's a peace of mind there, um, and under that peace of mind we find a sense of compassion that helps us lead a more purposeful uh, life. Uh, not only uh, purposeful, but in our connections with other people. You know, they come out of a foundation of compassion. In your writing style, would you describe it as instructive or or would you call it narrative in your approach? Um, you know, it, it's, it's not only constructive, it is narrative, but I would characterize my style as more of coaching. In other words, my my whole style has been not only my writing, but in just the way I live my life, is to try to understand where people would like to be, and then be a facilitator or an enabler to help people get where they would like to be. Would that be the way you would describe this to someone if they were to meet you on the street or in some public setting and find out that you have authored this book? That that's exactly right. In other words. <laughs> What it would be is if, if you'd like to have some some personal freedom and experience what I call 100% responsibility that life happens because of us and not to us, you know, the book will be helpful for you to help realize that goal of just having some freedom in your own life and some own peace of mind, which I think is fundamental to the whole concept of happiness. Absolutely. Have you been able to get any response from readers of your book to this point? You know, I've had a lot of significant response. I've had, uh, obviously, there have been some some comments that they had wished that I had developed some of the characters in greater detail, 
But on the other hand, uh, the response that I've had has been, you know, it, it's comforting. As a matter of fact, it's humbling. I'm glad I made the commitment to actually write the book. When I have a daughter come up to me and said, you know, I, I actually was able to pick up the phone and call Dad the other day, and we talked about his war experiences, and that's mm. something that he has never done in my whole life, and here I am, 51 years old. So uh, I, I've had some very humbling feedback. I've had people talk to me and tell me that, you know, I picked the book up, and I just couldn't put it down. But on the other hand, I've had people say, you know, I really had to put that book down and think about what you really have encouraged me to think about uh, and what you said in your book. Congratulations on completing this and sharing it with the world. The title again is Sitting in the Flames, Uncovering Fearlessness to Help Others. Our author, Dr. John Edwin DeVore. Dr. DeVore, where do we get copies of your book? Uh, you can get copies of the book. You can go to the website, which is www.johnedwindevore.com. The other places you can get it are Amazon. You can get it at Barnes & Noble. You can get it at Ex Libris. It's also uh, available through Kalahari and Exclusives. Devora is spelled D-E-V-O-R-E. For those of you who want to do a search online or want to request this from your local bookseller. Dr. DeVore, thank you for sharing your story and for sharing your story in print, Sitting in the Flames, Uncovering Fearlessness to Help Others. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. Yeah, Jay, thank you for your time. I enjoyed our conversation. Thank Have you. a great day. Thank you, sir. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. Our book today is titled, Race Athlon, The Goal. And our author, G.R. Sneberger, joins us from near Santiago, Chile. Welcome, sir, to the program. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This is an interesting dichotomy. You are in Chile. You have a very good English uh, ability to speak English. This book, uh, was it written in English originally? What was your goal in putting this book together? Well, certainly the book started as a study that we underwent with uh, my team. Uh, it took us three years to figure out what actually success 
What's the meaning of success? Because a lot of books are written about this topic. So we wonder, okay, what about if we're able to find not a recipe, not a how-to guide, because that's everywhere. But what if we're able to find a strategy that allows people to find success on their own terms? Because, for instance, to some people, success can mean be a good parent or be rich or you name it. I mean, it depends on the people. So after the, this three-year study, we were able to find that despite the, the culture that people have, there are uh, three major races that we all run all together that impact our balance, such as the personal race, the professional race, and the public race. Each one of them has specific uh, workouts, as we call them, uh, to achieve success after you run each one in a sequence. So you cannot start running your public race if you have not uh, completed your personal one. Your personal one is the foundation where you're able to win, between codes, uh, your, your, your value, your, your core values that allows you to keep on running so you're able to set your vision in life. Where are you headed to? I mean, I'm headed to be a parent, or maybe I want to be the best student in, in my university, for instance. After you're able to find your own foundation, you're able to move forward and start running your professional race. Your professional race means your value proposition, what makes you unique in the world. What, what are you offering to the many worlds you run into? For instance, okay, you are running in your world, your spiritual world. What are you offering there? Why are you different from the rest? Now you're, you're running in your world of work. You're working in a specific company. So how are you differentiating yourself uh, among the, all the other participants in the race? Because life, as we define it, it's a race against time to achieve your own goals and dreams. A so GR able to define what makes you unique. A GR, you're not you're you're not an old uh, an old soul, or maybe you are an old soul, but by your photo, you're a fairly young individual. Where did you have this motivation? Uh, where did the idea of the race begin with you? Yeah, well, I, I've been lucky enough to travel the world many times. Uh, I I'm working in well in my all different companies that I have, but I'm working also in a mining company, which has allowed me to travel to different places where I have been able to see and share different experiences with different people. So I lived in China for a couple of months. I lived in Serbia, in Romania, uh, and in Latin America, too. So I was able to actually test all these workshops, all these uh, the trainings that we put, we assemble in the book, that we try to explain in simple terms. So everyone can grasp or get the gist of uh, what we're trying to say. So even though I'm, I'm very young, uh, I've been able to, to share my, my amount of time with, uh, with different people more experienced than I am, so I've been able to, to share with my team, because uh, I, I, I didn't do this by myself, because we are around uh, 11 people that between psychologists, entrepreneurs, uh, journalists, so we all work together to assemble these strategies. I'm now the... the the face of this uh, of this series of books because it, this is the first one, but uh, I've been able to to try and, and get information from different and more experienced people. That's why uh, 
think that the strategy is proven. Yes. How, how long did it take you, GR, to get this assembled with your team and completed? 200 pages or so. Yeah, well, the study lasted two, uh, three years. Uh, and after that, uh, it took us around a year and a half to, to have everything together. So it was a very long process. We thought actually it was going to take us less time, but, well, uh, the first book uh, maybe took us longer because this was the first project that we tried to do massively. Uh, and hopefully for the second book of the series, because we're trying to, to get into more detail for the different races and different strategies, uh, it's going to take us uh, a few amount of time. You have also uh, described three different types of people in the world. You've uh, described people that I recognized immediately. It's not me, uh, routinaries, uh, rock stars and runners. Explain how those different people approach life and approach success. Okay, yes, certainly. Well, after the study, we realized that even though there might be many different types of people, they all boil down to basically three kinds of people. The routinaries, well, are people that are very, very predictable. You can see them working at the same place for many, many years, having the same hobbies, and so forth. So their life goes or evolves on a repetitive mode. There, you, can, you can easily detect, okay, these guys are going to be there on that position or with the same friends for the years to come. Mm-hmm. Now, if you compare that vision of life with the rock stars, we call them rock stars because they are the best in one particular field. They have invested a lot of their time in one, in one thing. For instance, uh, a tennis player. That person had to invest many hours from a very young age to be number one at that particular field. Or uh, the best professor you can find in school or in a university, that person also. So that's a rock star. Maybe one of his or her uh, uh, followers uh, is going to let you know about his achievements. Now, that person only is, is good on that specific field. But what happened with the many other ones? Because if you are investing your time to be the best tennis player in the world, maybe you are forsaking many others. For instance, be a good friend or be uh, connected to God or anything. So now we realize that there are, there's a, a different uh, type of person. We call them runner. And why do we call them runner? Because they are able to keep balance in life. We do this analogy between uh, a runner because in order to run physically, you also need a connection with your mental condition. Because, if, okay, let's suppose you're still running, okay? But you, yes. you are worried about your situation with your wife or with your family. You won't be able to run as good as you could. So a runner is a person who is able to find balance in the areas that they care about. For instance, okay, I want to be a good parent, but also want to be a good entrepreneur, and I want to be uh, the best journalist. Uh, I don't know, you name the profession. I can be. So it's a person who's able to find the balance in the right proportion for, for him or for her. A mental preparedness is important, training, and then you say go the extra mile, how to become the ultimate runner. Runner is the goal of your book. Who is the target audience? Who do you think is going to benefit from reading your work? Yeah, we, we have realized that a lot of people who read the book are young people, people who are still in school or starting uh, certain uh, studies, uh, people between the range of 15 to 30-year-old, 
these are the people who are looking for different perspectives in, in their lives. Uh, they are, maybe they are trying to, to make a little turn from the, from the experience they have now. They are trying to open up their minds and look for different uh, situations, different uh, trends, you name it. But we have also realized that old people also, uh, senior people, for instance, that they would like to, to find certain clues, certain strategies that they could start implement, implementing from now on. They have also uh, told us that the book has been uh, useful because they didn't know that it was very easy to simplify life if you see it as a three tracks that you are able to run parallel. So now for them, uh, the situation gets uh, very, very simple. And they, they can start taking care of their personal race or the public race and start learning from the rock stars and... That is why we realized that the book, even though it's written for, for young people, also old people have a chance to, to get something out of it. You've approached things uh, this way with some positive advice. How to balance success the way runners do. And your question at the start of that chapter is, what are you running after in life? Is it money? Uh, you uh, approach that. Is it family? Or is it something else? Friends, perhaps? You have uh, outlined that. You've also included some diagrams and some thought-provoking ideas in your book. How would you introduce this book to someone in a couple of sentences and get them interested uh, to get their own copy, whether they're pursuing business or whether they're pursuing a music career, whatever it is? Yeah, uh, well, if you're looking for, for a new perspective in life, if you're looking to, to find happiness on your own terms, this book is meant for you. Because... It doesn't tell you what to do, since after all, you've been able to handle your life perfectly fine until now. So you don't need someone to tell you to do this or do that. No, no, no. This is a different approach that's going to open up your mind and help you take advantage of all these proven strategies uh, as you want to. So this is the goal of the book. It's a guide. It's not a secret or a recipe. No, no, no. You take advantage of it as you want uh, and we consider it very useful because after this three-year study, we have uh, interviewed over a thousand people by now, and it's been proven successful in over 80% of the cases. So we think uh, it's, it's a good way to go uh, and to start running your life the best way you can. You've also included some uh, personal stories, not your own personal stories, but personal stories and, and reflections that uh, someone might be I involved in, like a family situation. These round out the idea and the concepts of your book, do they not? Yes, yeah, certainly. Actually, those are real stories uh, about different students we have had or people we have had meetings with. So the purpose of those uh, short stories are to show people that they are not alone in the world. Maybe they are able to relate in some way with those cases, and they can take something positive out of it. We had a case uh, of a nurse who was diagnosed with a very uh, difficult uh, breathing disease, disease while she was working in a hospital. So she, she thought that, well, now the world is over because I, I, I have to be in this village that I don't like at all, but either because I, I signed a contract, uh, this uh, public service uh, helped me out with the tuition of my studies. Uh, well, now I have to return many years, 
and now I have this disease, and I don't see a way out, so I'm stressed. Well, she told us the situation. We started working together on her professional race, and she she realized that actually, even though everything looked very uh, blurry, very um, obscure, very dark for her at that particular time, she was able actually to find a positive way out because she realized that her personal race had a different vision for her life in that situation. So everything boiled down uh, to uh, a very good uh, ending for her because now she lived with, um, she, she got married, she was able to find uh, an opportunity out of that hard time she had to face. Uh, so we think that those stories are very useful and are written in a very simple way. And a lot of people are able to relate. That's the purpose of that. Fabulous. The title is Raceathlon. The goal, run your life the way you want, but make sure you're on the right track to boost your success. Some positive stories in here and some great advice. Is there a sequel coming up? Yeah, actually, we have planned 11 titles because there are different races. There are also different purposes for the people. For instance, if you want to be a good parent, there is a book for that. If you want to be uh, a good mother and be working and be taking care of your kids, there is also a book that our, one of our psychologists is working on that. If you want to run your wallet the best way possible, there is also a book for that. So we are planning on launching a book uh, one per year for the next 10 years. That's the main goal. And actually, the, the title, Race of Lawn, has a meaning. Is a mix between a race because we are all we are all running against time, and from the last part is because your life, the challenges you are facing, can be a marathon, a pentathlon, you name it. Depends on the series of tests you are facing now, or you think you are facing. So that is why it's a mix of words that we are trying to help you out, easy up your 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 own track, how you can run that the best way possible. Uh, we're trying to give actually a, a, a positive uh, message here with this, uh, with the book. And every every single book is practical. We don't want to stay on the uh, on ideas or uh, things that are very hard to implement in life. No, no, no. We we didn't. We did the opposite. That's a lot of the self-help industry is trying to do now. That they tell the stories, they give you good ideas, but maybe you cannot relate to them and try to implement them. Okay, we did. Uh, they're completely the opposite to try and do the worst way possible so people can take advantage of the message. Exceptional job on this one, Raceathlon, and our author, G.R. Sneeberger, who's joined us from Chile. And the last name, S-N-E-B-E-R-G-E-R, if you're doing a search online, where else can they get a, a copy of your book, G.R.? Well, they can go to any website they want to that sells book. We are everywhere. Uh, and also on our website, which is www.raceathlon.com, there you can find a video that explains in in three three minutes the message, the main message of the book. You can see the next titles are planned and so forth. Congratulations! Thank you for joining me today. I know this is a, a wonderful work and should have some great impact on the reader. Recommend it uh, for my listeners to get a copy of Raceathlon. The goal. And again, the author, G.R. Sneberger, S-N-E-B-E-R-G-E-R. G.R., thank you for joining me today, and look forward to talking with you in the future. Certainly. Thank you for having me. Best Take of luck, care. sir. Yes. For Ex Libris On Air, this is J. Douglas Barker. 
Join Steve Jorgensen next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors. Right here on Ex Libris On Air.